Hello, and thank you for joining the Isakos podcast. We are the official podcast of the International Society for Arthroscopy, Knee Surgery, and Orthopedic Sports Medicine. And we try to bring you topics that may be of interest to Isakos members and those who are interested in our organization. I'm joined here today with my co-host, Dr. Lori Heemstra, who is a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon in Banff, Canada. She is the chair of the Gender Diversity and Inclusion Task Force for both the Canadian Orthopedic Association and for ISACOS. And as of this week, she will become the president-elect of the Canadian Orthopedic Association and be the first female president of that organization. So thank you for joining me, Dr. Heemstra. Thanks, Stephen. It's a real pleasure to be here. And maybe I could have the pleasure, that feels like a real honor, to introduce our guest today. Kamali Thompson, it is, uh, maybe I'm the first person to introduce you to the orthopedic community, but it, it really is an honor. Kamali Thompson is joining the orthopedic community next week as she starts her orthopedic residency. And Kamali is really, really special because she is a uber athlete, very accomplished fencer of all things. So a, a unique sport for everybody, I think, a new one for our orthopedic community. And we're really pleased to be, to have her join us. And I guess what's most special is that Kamali has been training as she's done her medical school. Uh, she has been training for the Olympics and she is actually the first alternate for the Tokyo Olympics, which starts just in a few weeks, but she is gonna start her orthopedic residency first and then take a little holiday in Japan. So Kamali, that's a really terrible introduction, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you both so much uh, for having me and for introducing me. That was a fabulous introduction and it's my first time, I guess, meeting the orthopedic community um, as a resident. I've had a couple of papers and posters posted that people might have seen here and there, but that was when I was a student. So fencing and orthopedic are both kind of funny because I didn't really envision myself doing either one of them when I was really young. Like I know a lot of people have aspirations to become something. And if you told me when I was 10, I would be an orthopedic surgeon and an Olympic fencer, I would be like, that's crazy. <laughs> so it's been really cool to get here. Um, a really brief story about how I got to where I am today. Um, fencing wise, I started fencing in high school which is pretty unusual. Fencing is one of those sports where people start fencing when they're like six or seven. And by the time they're in high school, they're trying to figure out what college you're gonna fence at and uh, maybe go to a couple of World Cups um, when they're around 13, 14, 15. And I started fencing in high school. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea you could get a scholarship to fence. And my mom uh, found out from my fencing coach that it was really good to fence and you could probably get a scholarship and might be able to get into an Ivy League school. So she said, all right, well, I'm going to sign you up for the team and you don't really have a choice. <laughs> so that's how I started fencing. Um, and after a couple of years, I started in New Jersey and New Jersey is kind of like the mecca of high school fencing. And after a couple of years, I was really tired of these girls beating me. So I asked how I could get better. And I found a fencing club in New York City called the Peter Westbrook Foundation. And all of the fencers there were at minimum a national champion. We have a lot of Olympians, two-time, three-time Olympians, Olympic medalists, and they all go to top-ranked schools too. So I think that was my opening to the Olympic world. And 
seeing that I could go from a high school fencer to an Olympic fencer. So I got a scholarship to Temple University and I kept fencing there. And after college was over, I knew I wanted to go to medical school, but at the same time, I didn't really feel like I did anything. So I decided to just start training for the Olympics when I was in medical school and see how it goes. This year, I ended up fifth in the country. The top four people go to the Olympics. I am the first alternate, so that's really exciting. So all my hard work paid off. I'm going to Tokyo in a couple of weeks. And then on the orthopedic end, I always, always wanted to be a pediatrician. And when I started fencing, I actually got skiers them. And I was really upset about it. My doctor didn't really seem like he cared too much. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm trying to go to the Olympics and my finger feels like it's about to fall off. So it was that moment I decided I should do something in sports, but I didn't think I would like surgery that much because I really wanted to do pediatrics. And I just happened to do my surgery elective, my third year of med school, and I really liked it. And I picked the ortho elective because I thought it would be really interesting to see like the sports medicine side of that. And on my first day, the attending, like, handed me a drill and he said, well, put this screw in someone's femur. And I said, this is crazy. And I love all of this. So how can I become an orthopedic surgeon? And that's how I am a fencer and an orthopedic surgeon today. <laughs> that's awesome. We should uh, thank that uh, attending for giving you that opportunity. Yeah. How, how do you think your sport prepared you for residency? Or do you think your sport has helped you prepare for residency? Yeah, definitely. Fencing is constantly testing your confidence and constantly testing your preparation. And if you show up to the strip and you don't really believe in yourself or you have not thoroughly prepared for your bout, whether it's in practice or a video review, you're probably going to lose. <laughs> so I feel like it's really similar to residency where you have to come every day, you have to be ready, you have to study the night before. And then when you're put into these situations, you have to be confident about what you're preparation and your skills and your training are and just believe in your skills as a doctor. So I think both of those things have really prepared me and some other little things here and there, I'm sure will also help. That's uh, it's super interesting, Kamali. Sir, I'm stealing all the questions here because I'm just, I've got so many. Tell me a little bit about fencing. So orthopedics, you know, well, in, I can tell you the American numbers, only 6% of orthopedic surgeons are female in the U.S. It's a little better in Canada. We're at about 12%. Wow, what good. is it like in, what is it like in fencing? Is that, is it pretty equal between the sexes or, or is, is it rare to have so many women fencers? Um, it's pretty equal. I think uh, in general, men events usually have a little bit more. So for example, I fence Sabre. Um, when I fence in women's Sabre events, we have maybe 170, 180 people. And my brother fences Sabre as well. He's he's on the Olympic team. He's number four in the country. So that's pretty exciting. Um, he has maybe 200 people in his events. So we're a little, we're, we're pretty balanced. There's a little less women than men, but it's definitely not uncommon for women to fence. Um, and a little like history lesson, I guess, for you is um, in 19, before 19, there's three weapons, foil, epi, and saber, I fence saber. And before 1999, women weren't allowed to fence saber. So men felt that, you know, like saber was really aggressive, it's really rough. Women shouldn't be fencing saber. So 2004 is the very first time women's saber was featured in the Olympics. And this will now be the fifth time that women's saber has been in the Olympics. So it's still pretty like new, I guess you could say, like women fencing saber. But at this point, we're catching up to the guys. Well, that's amazing. 1999, you said. 1999, yes. yeah. I, I remember 1999. So <laughs> that that's amazing. So it looks like you you picked the the some sport that that kind of parallels your orthopedic career. Hopefully, we'll have made things better as you go through. But uh, super interesting. Stephen, I'll let you get a word in edgewise there. <laughs> oh no, I 
I um, just was trying to keep the conversation flowing. So um, I guess maybe what we should do is raise our hands on screen so we know when we want to ask a question. But uh, I'm, I actually uh, took a fencing class in college and I thought it was a fascinating uh, sport. I just never had an avenue to go and do it. And but it was it was a lot of fun, although it was a beginning class. So I only ever did, I guess, foil and maybe epi. I don't think we ever got into saber. Mm -hmm. But if could you tell us a little bit about maybe the uh, how the scoring works, that sort of thing. So hopefully if people get a chance to watch during the Olympics, they'll understand what's going on. Yes, first and foremost, everyone should watch during the Olympics. It's hard to understand. I'll give you that. But fencing, the commentators are excellent. Usually during the Olympics, they make it like really, really easy to understand. And fencing is evolving. So we're trying to get people involved and, and understand as much as possible. So now there's so many lights all over the place. <laughs> so there's the, the strips light up, your masks light up. Like when you hit someone, everyone knows. So at least that's something that helps. Um, so to um, Fencing 101, like I said before, there is epee, saber, and, and foil. And those, those are the three weapons. Each weapon has their own target area and their own um, rules. And that's why things get really confusing. <laughs> the easiest thing to understand is epee. That's what everyone should watch during the Olympics. They wear all white. You can hit the, the person, they can hit you. It doesn't really matter. Um, if you hit them, it's a touch. And if they hit you, it's a touch. And if you both hit each other, it's you both get touches, um, except if, except for if it's the last touch of the, of the bout. So one person has to um, score to end the bout. But um, the rules for that, you can hit the entire body, which is why it gets really exciting. You can hit the hand, you can hit the toe, you can hit the mask, um, and that's epic. Very simple, very easy to understand. Our men's epic team and our women's epic teams are both like amazing in the world. They are very high ranked, so you should definitely watch them. Um, foil, foil is, um, comes from like the dueling era, era where you would wake up at six in the morning, duel with someone and whoever dies first, like that's the end of them. <laughs> that's where foil comes from. So the target area is the vest and the back. Um, you can only hit that area to get a touch and you have to hit them with a the point. So it's kind of like the parent trap if any of you guys have seen that before. And then saber is from the waist up. It comes from like the cavalry times when people were in war and they were like hitting people on a horse and all that stuff. So you can slash the person, you can hit them with any part of the blade but there's a lot of rules involved and that's why it gets really really confusing and um, it's really fast so you blink and you're probably going to miss something but basically whoever hits the other person first is the person who gets to touch um, when you're fencing you have to fence the person at 15 and whoever wins at 15 goes um, moves on to the next round and whoever loses goes home Great. Thank you for that. I'd forgotten most of that from my fencing class far too long ago, but okay. it really, really is a, a very interesting sport. And when, I think I actually first heard about you on Twitter. And oh uh, wow, Twitter famous! That's amazing. That's right. <laughs> and when I realized that there was this young aspiring orthopedic surgeon who uh, was also an elite fencer, I just found it fascinating. And so, really, really glad to have you on the show. Um, and now you grew up in New Jersey. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? And and I guess, were, did you play other sports growing up? Were you academically focused? That yeah. sort of thing? Yeah, I, so I was born in LA, in Los Angeles, California. We moved to New Jersey when I was in third grade. I actually skipped first grade and I started school early. So I'm two years younger than everybody else in my class, um, which was really awkward at times growing up because I was just so far behind. Like I didn't drive a car when I was in high school. I was too young. Voting, I didn't get to vote until like two years into college. So that's interesting. <laughs> but um, 
I have a younger brother who fences as well. Um, both my parents, uh, one of my, my mom's from New Jersey, my dad's from California. And we moved to Teaneck, New Jersey when I was in third grade, not really expecting anything like, you know, amazing out of like me and my brother, but just wanted to raise us in a really great area. Teaneck is a very diverse town. And I think that's just been so amazing for me growing up because um, I really like enjoy different cultures. I mean, fencing, we travel to all these countries and I'm, I'm really privileged to see all that, but I enjoy being around a bunch of people who look like me, who don't look like me. Like I love learning about other cultures. So Teaneck was amazing for that. Um, I chose to go to our public high school and our high school is really, really good. It's it's top ranked and it's just really funny that we have a fencing team because normally fencing programs are in like prep schools or like private schools, but like we're a very normal public school and we have a, a fencing team. And when I was in school, we were top 16 in the state. So we were really amazing. And I think it's been um, great to grow up in a place where there's a lot of like regular people and we just end up doing really amazing things. Um, so a lot of my friends have also gone on to do really great things and we all just come from New Jersey. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Heemstra, do you have any other questions? Obviously you did all this stuff at the same time, which I find really fascinating. Um, and which probably everyone says, wow. But do, do you have, um, how did you figure out your time management? How did you figure out your priorities? Did that something come naturally to you? Did you have some help to figure that out? Because clearly you've juggled more than most people. I was always pretty decent at time management. I wasn't like a huge procrastinator in life. Um, I think I would wait like a little bit, but I kind of would always just get my stuff done. I was a dancer. Um, prior to fencing. So I was pretty used to like doing something after school or doing something on the weekend and then coming home and doing my homework. And the same thing happened when I got to um, high school and started fencing. And then my junior year, when I joined my fencing club, I started fencing in New York City. So it's, that was way more complicated than just going to school and walking home at like four or 5 p.m. You know, like I was in the, in, in the city, didn't get home till like eight or 9 p.m. And then I still had all this work to do my junior and senior year of high school. Um, so I carried those principles uh, of figuring out how to get my stuff done quickly to, to college. And I remember my freshman year of college, maybe like a month and a half in, I was really upset because everyone, I mean, we're in college, so everyone's out, everyone's hanging out, everyone's partying. And here I am like doing my homework. And I was like, this is not fun, A. I'm not having like a good time like everybody else is B. And I remember calling my mom and she said, keep staying focused and keep being disciplined and you're going to see really quickly it's going to pay off. And other people who are maybe having as much who are having more fun than you, it's going to affect them in the long term. So I saw that within like by midterms and finals of that semester, that what I was doing was working. And then from there, I think I just had to figure out the social aspect of, okay, well, how can I balance this? So I'm getting my work done, getting practice done, but I'm still like seeing my friends and stuff. Um, so I kind of perfected that at the end of college. And then once I got to med school, you know, they say med school is like drinking fire water out of fire hose and they're not lying. But I feel like at my, my skills were so um, good by that point. I was just really, really disciplined. I schedule everything like a crazy person. Like I write every single thing that I have to get, get done down. Um, and then it kind of just got easier from there. Awesome. I have to, I'm dying to ask this. What are you looking forward to the most next week when you start residency? Um, okay, so the real answer is um, seeing patients, 
and not like having to leave and say, I'm going to go get the resident because I am the resident. So like seeing them and saying, this is what I think, this is my opinion because I'm the doctor. The second answer is I'm really looking forward to my long white coat and I'm really looking forward to like my food, like the meal swipes, (laughs) because it was just always so inconvenient for me to have my debit card and here and there and there, whatever. Nope, here's my ID. I can swipe and get my food. And I'm really excited about that. So all three of those things. Awesome. And maybe, maybe an unfair question, but what is, what is making you most anxious about starting the recipe or what, what are you most worried about or most concerned oh, about? I mean, I've heard this from everyone, um, my colleagues and people, uh, I've seen this in the past, but you know, you just don't feel like you know everything. <laughs> I'm someone who like, And you never will. <laughs> right. I, I like to feel as prepared as possible. And that means like looking at everything I can beforehand and studying everything I can beforehand. And I've tried in the last couple of weeks and I just can't. I can't get everything down. So uh, I think I have to get really comfortable not knowing um, everything that's that there is to know in the world of orthopedics. Well, I think I can probably speak for most educators and we say the, the most important thing is knowing what you don't know. That, that, that I think I know. <laughs> <laughs> that I think I do know. That's a very good place to start. Um, the I realized in listening to to your story that it seems like you've had these moments where your life has changed and you've been pointed in a different direction. And I guess what I'm wondering about is mentorship. It seems like you probably have a mentor or mentors in becoming a physician and now an orthopedic surgeon and probably a mentor or mentors in, in becoming an elite fencer. So if you could talk a little bit about who's supported you and how those relationships have worked and, and how, how that mentor-mentee relationship has uh, has evolved or, or what it means to you, because I think we all need uh, good mentors and I'm not sure that that's something that people talk about too much. Yeah, I mean, they definitely don't. Uh, mentorship is incredibly important and that's definitely why I am where I am today and who I am uh, today because of, my, because of my mentors. Um, it really all comes down to like the same five or six people. Uh, my high school coach, number one, who is the person who told my my mom that I should start fencing. And the, re- the I forgot to explain earlier, the way that happened was we were walking by the cafeteria and there was a fencing demonstration going on. And my mom kind of stuck her head in and my high school coach started talking to her and, and they're best friends now to this day. Um, so she's been an amazing mentor. Her daughter actually um, is a 2012 Olympic medalist in fencing. So her family has been very helpful for my family during this process. And she told me to um, reach out to my fencing club my fencing club is this huge network of mentors of people who have been amazing athletes and amazing students because they've gone to really great colleges and some people have gone off to business school I went to business school and when I was in business school I was asking them a lot of these questions Um, we have lawyers we have a couple of doctors and I think just having these people who have gone through um, all this before so I I wasn't the person the first person in my club to get a professional degree while they, I was fencing. So I had mentors to reach out to to say, hey, I can't go to practice this week because I have an exam, but I have a competition next week. Like, how is this going to work? <laughs> like, how can I how can I do this? And they've always been so helpful in helping me figure everything out and helping me kind of rearrange my schedule and telling me that things aren't going to be the same for me as um, as typical medical students and as typical fencers because I'm juggling both at the same time. And then my mentors introduced me to my coach at Temple and she is like 
Uh, I love her. She started fencing when she was in high school. She went on to become a two-time Olympian and she fenced in the 1980 Olympics. And for people who don't know, in 1980, the U.S., uh, the president decided to boycott the Olympics. So when we had this whole situation with COVID and, you know, training half your life to make the Olympics and the Olympics might not happen, like she was really important um, support system for me so we could discuss. And then um, one of my coaches introduced me to an orthopedic surgeon who also fences, Dr. Bloom, if you're listening, hi, Dr. Bloom. And he's the person who introduced me to sports medicine and introduced me to my, my research family at NYU and was a really big mentor in the beginning of my orthopedic journey. So these fencing people I just keep meeting <laughs> really keep being really helpful. And the same thing for orthopedics. Um, there's a great group called Nth Dimensions and Nth Dimensions is a group that helps minority students get into more competitive specialties specialties. So they have been super vital in my whole journey to becoming an orthopedic surgeon from the very beginning where I, I said, I don't know how to do this. Like how, how, wh where, where do I start? Like, you know, I'm a third year medical student. It's halfway in the middle of school. And from what I understand about ortho, you don't really decide to do it halfway in the middle of third year. So how do I navigate this? And then to last year doing my residency interviews on Zoom and figuring all that out, they've been so instrumental. So yes, I have a bunch of mentors and you need them. And if you don't have one, you should find one like yesterday. Yeah, it sounds like you've had a lot of support, which is is really fantastic and and you've reached great heights. I guess maybe touching on the fact that the Olympics were delayed by a year, how was that for you? I mean you must have been ramping up for 2020 and then to have all of that go on a year-long pause must have been difficult. And and again with balancing med school as well. It was terrible. <laughs> It was terrible and I was extremely upset about it and you know it's difficult because on one hand being in a in the medical field we understand how dangerous and how difficult COVID-19 was and how much it impacted the world and this is everyone every everyone who's alive this is our first pandemic right so like really grappling with the difficulty that a pandemic faces you with from death to unemployment to just every type of change to natural life that you could think of and I felt really really bad and really selfish that I was upset about the Olympics because in the grand scheme of things like the Olympics is not that big of a deal but I was also really upset because you know I worked so long for this and the point I guess the way I changed my whole med school pathway was to make sure that I wasn't preparing for residency and the Olympics at the same time <laughs> so then for it to come down to oh actually you have to do all your residency interviews and keep training. And um, it was really difficult. So I was really upset about that. But um, the biggest lesson I learned from COVID is that you have to be adaptable and you cannot control everything. And that's a really difficult concept for me to grasp, but I'm starting to learn it more and more. So I just had to figure something out and, and figure out, okay, well, how can I manipulate my schedule um, in med school to make it so I can train, but also make sure I'm focused and present during my rotation so I can like obviously give myself 100% to both sides. Um, so it was difficult, but thank God for my support system because they got me through and we, we figured it out. We figured it, we figured it out. And so you'll be traveling with the team to Tokyo, is that right? Yeah, so I'll be, the Olympics. they're going to be, they're going to leave, um, we're all kind of leaving at different times. Uh, some people are leaving a little earlier, but I don't have that much time to take off because I'm in residency. So I'll be there for two weeks and and that's, that's long enough. And I, it ended up working out because of COVID. 
we can't stay as long as we normally would. Normally you stay till the um, end of the closing ceremony, but they, they're kicking everyone out the village 48 hours after your last event. So I'm just gonna, we're all leaving at the same time. So I'm not missing out on anything good, which is exciting. Well, thank you so much for this really interesting discussion about this work-life balance that's extremely common among orthopedic surgeons, but you're an exceptionally rare case in an elite athlete who's also uh, now becoming an orthopedic surgeon. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with the podcast listeners? Yes, definitely. Um, I first, I always tell people that I think the best part about my story is that when things looked really uh, bleak, I guess you could say, or things looked like they'd be really difficult. Um, the only reason I got through was because I decided to just give something a try. So I, I had no idea if I was gonna be good at fencing on an international level when I entered medical school. I just decided to just try it and see what happens. And I know um, a lot of people always ask me like, what's the key to success? And I think if you just try and you just don't give up, um, especially after that first failure, you just keep pushing through. I think a lot of things will work out. That's great advice, Chloe. Um, with regards to the orthopedic side of your life, there's, uh, as we know, not that many women in orthopedics and we're always looking to increase our numbers. And there's, I'm sure, lots of young women in medical school, in university that, you know, think that sport medicine and orthopedics is, is really cool because it is. And uh, would you have any words of advice you would give, give to those young women about your journey and uh, what it's like to actually get into orthopedics? Yes, I would say um, don't be intimidated by what seems like it might be impossible. Um, don't be intimidated by any negative words that people might say. And I know when I was on my rotations a lot, people would look at me and kind of say, oh, you must be in another specialty. And I'm like, oh, actually, no, I'm applying for ortho. So don't let all those like little microaggressions get to you. Um, don't be afraid if you're interested in ortho and you're interested in something that's really competitive, go for it and just figure out what you need to do to get there. Um, and then just get a good support system and it's all gonna work out. Great, well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Kamali Thompson for joining us on the ISACOS podcast. And thank you, Dr. Heemstra for joining me as a co-host on this episode. I hope it's not the last time uh, that we'll be able to do something like this. And thank you all for listening to the Isakos podcast. We really appreciate your attention and hope you've enjoyed this episode, this interesting discussion. And we look forward to seeing Dr. Thompson in, uh, in Tokyo. Maybe she'll end up in the competition. If not, I'm sure that she's got bright things ahead in her future. And we will be back in your podcast feed soon with another episode of the Isakos podcast. Thank you very much.